0: Welcome to the second episode of the Shannon Plan. I am Kyle Posey. I am joined by my host, Akash. Akash, what's up, man?
1: What's up, man? I see you got that little Santa Clara glow going. California sun. Back in Arizona now, so what's up?
0: I tried to preserve myself as much as possible. So yeah, being out in the sun for we were out there for like three or four hours. It was uh, it wasn't great, but. You made it. and It was good. It was good to uh, just get to see the 49 get to see live football, get to see athletes that are not 15, 16, 17 year olds. So it was fun. <laughs>
1: good stuff, man. Glad you're back. Uh, avoided the the air quality mess that's going down there. So,
0: yeah, like we could from the stadium, we could see the fires like we could see the smoke going on. It was, And a couple of days they were they were thinking that practice might be canceled just because the air quality was so bad. Like, I think it got up to as high as 163 one day and they would cancel it. They would cancel it. Um, I believe it's up to 200. So luckily avoided that, but we have plenty of news to talk about. There was a lot that went on in the past week and we have to start with the injury updates because we are talking about the 49ers. <laughs> and, and <laughs> so the big one is Brandon Ayuk and Brandon Ayuk, Pulled up lame, grabbed his hamstring on a go route in practice. I believe it was Saturday. And Kyle Shannon spoke on Tuesday and said that Ayuk had a left hamstring strain. He is week to week. The good news is Adam Schefter said on NFL Live that Ayuk will be he will be ready to go by week one. And that's what really matters. Shanahan said the injury also won't hurt him much because just in terms of knowing the 49er system, and Shanahan kind of lauded that Ayuk is mentally ahead of the curve. And what I've seen from Ayuk is that they've thrown everything at him from, like, he's been playing X, he's been playing Z, he's playing F, they've been using him in motion, they've been using him short routes, deep routes, jet sweeps, pretty much everything. So to say that he is ahead of the curve is quite the compliment. So uh, were were you worried about Ayuk at all missing time? Because it seemed like there was a lot of freaking out going on on Tuesday, at least on 49ers Twitter.
1: A little bit, yeah. I mean, you hear uh, like a soft tissue injury, like a hamstring. And you're like, man, not another uh, wide receiver going down, especially with uh, the injuries we've talked about, the Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd. And you're like, God, we uh, the team just really needs uh, Brandon Ayuk out there. So uh, definitely lots of concern, but glad to hear that Shanahan said it was week to week. Sounds like he'll be out there week one uh, against the Cardinals, which is like 20 or so days away, which is good. I think the interesting part that you brought up and how much they're throwing at uh, Ayuk, uh, regardless of where he's lining up. I don't think it's something we saw from Tebow Samuel last uh, season, right? I I think Samuel's more of a late bloomer. Uh, Definitely didn't have this type of usage in training camp. I thought he, especially early in the season, didn't uh, play as much as we think uh, Brandon Ayuk will. So uh, hopefully he's healthy uh, come week one, and they're able to fully utilize him uh, as much as possible.
0: And I agree there. I I don't think that Debo Samuel was being used as much as Ayuk was early on in practice, at least. And that's probably a good sign. So hopefully, you know, he's healthy. Uh, Speaking of Debo Samuel, Shanahan also did mention that the hope is to get him back by week one. Debo's been running on the side of practice. He looks good. Like he looks further along than we would expect. So he had the Jones fracture. He was expected. Most reports said he might miss up to up to six weeks, which is kind of crazy. It seems like to me that is going to play sometime in September which is good and yeah. I mean if, if they if they can get Debo back anytime in September that's just a big win for the team because they did work out four receivers on Tuesday and that kind of tells you, you know that they they they're not sure when they will get Samuel or Ayuk back that's what it seemed like anyway so they worked out x-raiders and Steelers receiver Johnny Holton they worked out former Bears first rounder who everybody wants to sign for some reason Kevin Kevin mm-hmm. And they also worked out former Bengals wide receiver. And this is a real person named River Carcraft, as well (laughs) as the 49ers. It's it's against the rules if they were to work out a receiver that wasn't from the Falcons. So uh, Justin Hardy as well. Do any of those names do anything for you?
1: Well, River sounds fantastic as a name. Sounds unique. Gets you uh, intrigued. Uh, but, I mean, at this point, what receiver have they, have they not worked out? I swear, every day they got like three or four receivers in the building. They're calling dudes. Uh, I compared this to, you know, when the Eagles had, um, there's the movie Invincible. They had like the street workouts or whatever, and they had guys like try out, like just random dudes like me and you. Um, I feel like this that's almost what it's like, right? There's rotating the the bottom of the receiver core uh, with just dudes at this point. I, I had never heard of River Craft or whatever his name is uh until today and i was like they're making this up but uh, clearly not so uh none of those guys really moves the needle for me uh kevin white obviously you know he was like a top 10 pick the athleticism is off the charts but uh i just don't see any potential with any of those guys um that they're bringing in and i, I doubt they sign any any of those four names that
0: you mentioned yeah white has just a brutal injury history yeah he, Two leg fractures and he also has a shoulder fracture. He's never played more than nine games in a season. Holden would be like the one guy that I would, you know, consider. He's 6'3. He can run. He I believe he played against the 49ers last season. Yeah. Uh, he spent the first three years of his career in Oakland. And then last year it was with Steelers, with the Steelers. Um, like River, uh River Car- I can't like his name to me just is so ridiculous. Uh River Carcraft. He is 25. He spent time with the Broncos and the Eagles. He was waived this past April. I think he has, like, one career catch for 44 yards in, like, the last game of the season last in 2019. And then Hardy had has played under Kyle Shanahan. Uh, Hardy has 19 receptions for 195 yards. And, like, the question, like, why – because Taylor Gabriel is a free agent. But, I mean, if yeah. i not going to bring in, in him, then that, that, I guess, kind of says something where – where Gabriel is, but yeah, I, I just don't. I, it's hard to get excited for any of those names. I feel like what you see is wow. what you get right now. Um, they also did work out Josh Johnson. I don't know if that's just because they need a quarterback or, they need a like camp a quarterback. or yeah, to, to just to throw. Because I mean, if we're being honest, in these practices, Mullins and Bethard, we know that they're bad, but they have been like embarrassingly bad.
1: I've heard the drop off has been severe.
0: It is unreal. Like. The defense is the first team defense has just been better than the first team offense. But like this, the twos and the threes compared to the twos and threes on offense, like they just can't get anything done because Mullins and Bethard are throwing the ball to the other, like to the defense. Like it's, it's just been bad. So it's not really surprising that they would bring Josh Johnson in. Josh Johnson it has to be like 40 at this point. He feels like he's been around forever. Yeah. Uh, but-
1: For, former XFL guy, I think someone responded uh, earlier this afternoon. They said he had like a 10 to 2 touchdown interception ratio. So not bad in the XFL, and I, at this point, you might as well just bring in another camp arm. Uh, we still got what another couple of weeks of practice, so yeah. um, could could definitely see that.
0: Here's a here's a connection for you. Josh Johnson went to the University of San Diego. Do you know who his head coach was? Uh, Jim, Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, going Harbaugh. full circle right here, baby. Wow. <laughs> so, and we just got some great info from our producer Rob. Josh Johnson is. 34 years old, bring him on down, get that veteran presence in here. <laughs> um,
1: he might be running for like the oldest guy on the team, geez.
0: Yeah, the, and the 49ers are like relatively young. They're
1: pretty young, yeah.
0: Uh, moving on, so Shanahan um, also spoke about Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa hasn't practiced for three practices in a row. He was complaining about leg soreness, and what Shanahan said was his leg was initially sore a few days ago. And they came back two days later, and the soreness was worse than they had originally thought. So Bosa got an MRI, and they found out it was a muscle strain. So Bosa's going to be week to week for now. What I would do is I just put him in bubble wrap until week one. There's We don't 100%. see him in training camp. Like he didn't play in training camp last year. He might have to play himself in shape for week one or so. But like if that's the biggest problem that you have with Bosa, then that is fine. So would you be worried about Bosa at all?
1: No. I mean, uh, Rob mentioned this before we got – before we hit record, uh, Nick Bosa obviously missed all of OTA, training camp, preseason, all that stuff last season, and he was absolutely dominant. Um, and he's had all off season, and you know he's going to miss the next couple weeks probably um, before the season starts. Not really concerned with Bosa; just a little worried that it's more serious and they're letting on. Maybe uh, you know Kyle Shanahan's soundbite uh, was a little funky. You know he didn't know what to call it initially. I think he was like, you know, what do we? what are we calling this? And then they said it was a muscle strain. Um, They said it was like routine maintenance or whatever over the weekend. And so it's clearly more than they're letting on. So, uh, but yeah, 100% agree with you. Bubble wrap him. Uh, Don't let him get, you know, uh, strain that muscle any further. And we'll see you week one, uh, September 13th.
0: Nick. And Shanahan did say that this year more than ever, he's going to keep things closer to the vest because usually him and John Lynch are very open and yeah. with everything that's going on right now because there are no preseason games. They want to keep things under wraps, play close to the vest. So we're probably not going to get as much information as we're used to getting in. That's all right. I mean, it's not the biggest to do. The only thing that matters is if 97 is active on week in, for week one. So. Yep. d forward is day to day he had a calf irritation so i actually saw this i got a good look at it it, would, it happened during one-on-ones on saturday ford was going against mike mcglinchey and I, something happened. I didn't. it looked like nothing it looked like maybe like a cramp in his calf something happened and ford tried to run it off during the drill and he nothing worked it didn't work it, whatever happened with his calf and ford just eventually decided to shut it down so he is day to day he has a calf irritation We're going to talk about Ford a little bit later. Can we rely on Ford?
1: Calf irritation? I I don't think I've ever heard of that kind of an injury before. Uh, You usually hear about strains or pulls or tears or whatever. Irritation? My God. I mean, the soft tissue injuries with D4 have just been like endless. Um, It's just like one thing after the other. I feel like when he's on the field, he's an absolute difference maker. But just, you know, his biggest thing is, is he available? Can the team depend on him week to week? And so, again, this is day-to-day injury, so I'm not sure the, you know, what the level of severity is. But, Jesus, hit him too, you you might as well just bubble wrap him at this point.
0: Yeah, like there's no point for him to practice. No. Just roll him out there yeah. on third downs only. Like that's the only time he should play. So, yeah, that I mean, what, what stood out to me is all these one-on-ones that are going on, Ford is the only person to get hurt on both sides of the ball. So I think that kind of answers our own question for us. Right. Um, yeah, they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to be careful with him because they do need him. They they have injuries up front on the defensive line, and the drop off from forward to the next rusher is pretty significant. Somebody has like I've gotten a couple questions about you know Deion Jordan, who was hyped up when they, they first signed him, and I honestly don't think that he's won like a single rep all practice in like the uh, the week that I was there. He's he's for lack of better words, without sugarcoating, he's just not a good footballer player and i i I would be very surprised if he made the roster uh the the most notable thing that jordan did all week was start a fight with somebody i think it was jared jones smith so it was a one-on-one rep uh jordan lost shocker and after that he he just like swung at smith like there was no reason like he, he just got mad and swung and then they broke it up but like that's the most action that jordan had all week so Uh, For those wondering how Deion Jordan looks, it is not going well.
1: Yeah, I remember the victory lap this fan base took as soon as they made that signing. You usually know when you sign a pass rusher in like, you know, July, uh, what you're going to expect. And God, yeah, like you mentioned, I don't think anyone's brought him up. I haven't heard a single thing about him outside of that fight. So it's probably safe to assume he's going to not make the 53-man roster.
0: The other person that didn't practice on Tuesday was Raheem Mostert, but he's all good. Shanahan said Raheem definitely earned it and that they were just giving him a rest day. He looks great. I don't think there is anything to worry about there. The good news with Mostert is, so we're not allowed to put it in print how the rotations are going, but Mostert is receiving all of the first-team carries. And, I mean, if fantasy is your thing, go all in on Mostert because he is going to be the guy, and I've never been more happy because for the life of me, Tevin Coleman. If he start, if he starts on, if he starts the first series and gets the first carry, I feel like Shanahan should be deducted pay every time that that happens. There's, there's seriously no reason for that to happen. Uh, Raheem Mostert is just so so much better than Tevin Coleman. I I sent this to Rich Madrid because we actually have like a running text thread of just all the bad plays Tevin Coleman makes, and there was one play in practice where so they ran like stretch right behind this guy named Trent Williams. And there was a giant, giant hole. Um, Tevin Coleman could have easily had like 10, 20 yards. Instead, Tevin cut back to the center and like just cut uh, or he uh, gained like two yards. Seriously, anybody else could have gained like a first down on that. I just, I have no idea what he's thinking. He always does this. But I would think about putting a clause in Shanahan's contract related to Tevin Coleman. The next injury update we have. So, DJ Jones was cleared for the concussion protocol. So he initially had a shoulder injury. They found out that that was okay. So no long term damage there. And then DJ Jones found out that he had a concussion. So he cleared the concussion protocol. Returned to practice on Tuesday. Jordan Reed also practiced for the first time on Tuesday. And he supposedly lit Jaquiski Tart up. And that is not an easy thing to do because Tart is a very good player. Yeah. Absolutely. He looks dry, apparently. It uh, looks like that. You know, if, if he's going to be healthy, that like, and you can just tell by who they have signed. They signed Eric Swoop, and who who is like an athlete, but Swoop? you can just tell by who they're bringing in. I <laughs> yeah, got some some quality comments on that. By the way, thank yeah. you very much. Um, but if they're, if those are the type of athletes that they're trying to bring in. So um, if Reed can just give them anything this year, that would be a big big boost because Ross Dwelly is not that guy, and there there's just a big difference between um jordan reed and essentially everybody else and, and george Kittle actually spoke about charlie warner today and he said he had some high praise for warner he said that warner is further along than he was as a rookie i mean there's you know the typical you know and yeah. player up, yep but warner is very very good against the run like he's a strong dude and and you can tell he was like a legitimate good blocker he actually beat tard a couple of times in, in um just routes when i was there but he he Something's missing there, and I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't count on him him in the passing game. But it's nice that they have a, a quality, um, just a quality backup tight end. So let's um, let's kind of segue here to oh yeah, Earl Thomas. That was that was a thing that came up today. So <laughs> it's we they, if somebody is released, instantly the Forty ers are going to be interested. Like that's just how the internet works. It seems yeah. so. On when Earl Thomas was released for punching his teammate on Sunday um in rapaport said that the 49ers are going to be uh, expect the 49ers to be interested and i don't know if you two you guys know this but rapaport kind of just throws stuff at the wall and hopes it sticks like that's how i feel about him i yes he has sources yes he breaks a lot of news but he puts out so much stuff that that just doesn't you know resonate it's just not good information and you can tell people kind of feed him stuff so Kyle Shanahan spoke about Earl Thomas today, and he said, like, no offense to Earl, nothing against Earl, but there just wasn't inj- any interest. We have our team. And to me, the safeties have been, like, the best position group so far. So that it it didn't really make sense to bring Thomas in. Like, the, the reason, the only way you would probably sign Thomas is, hey, we're going to sign you on, like, a one-year minimum vet because the <laughs> there's just not room to sign him, which is a good segue to George Kittle. So, Akash, you've been... Hammering this home today, what do you think about Kittle's contract? So let's let's kind of talk about the details of that. So the over the cap broke down, you know, year by year, base salary, guaranteed salary. How does that look to you?
1: It did. So uh, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since they announced George Kittle's deal. Typically, when these numbers come out, they hit you with the the years, the total total value, and the guaranteed money, right? And those numbers tell you a little bit. They give you an idea of the overall kind of structure of the contract. But in order to really evaluate it, you got to know kind of the year-to-year cap hits. That kind of gives you an idea of, you know, what the 49ers are thinking in terms of team building and how they plan to manage their money, right? So I thought this was a giant win uh, for the 49ers on multiple fronts. So let's start with the year-to-year cap hit. So this season and then next season, George Kittle's cap hits are going to be 5.8 million and 5.5 million, uh, respectively. That's a really, really you know, low number, especially next season uh, when you know the cap's probably going to drop uh, just because you know uh, revenues are lower from from COVID-19. I think the cap floor is set at like 175 million, so it ha- so it has a chance to go up from that, but that would be the lowest it can go. So you know, keeping George Kittle at five and a half million next year. Huge win for the 49ers, especially with the you know the laundry list of free agents they have Trent Williams, Kyle Yusech, Richard Sherman, Akello Witherspoon. Like the list goes on. So,
0: uh, I think there's 26 unrestricted free agents.
1: My god, um, yeah. so, So, with that many free agents, keeping his cap number low gives them flexibility to re sign some of those guys. Um, and then obviously, you know, through the life of the deal, so in 2022 to 2025. Um, those the cap numbers range somewhere between you know 16 and 18 million depending on the year. Uh, the cool part about George Kittle's deal that I think is a win for Jack Beckta's camp. Uh, so in 2022 and 2023, basically the 49ers have to guarantee his salary a year before. So for 2022, they have to guarantee it in 2021, and uh, same thing for the year after that. Uh, which essentially, like Kittle mentioned, it gives him the flexibility to not be worried about you know his year-to-year cash flow, and he can go out there and play uh, as hard as he possibly can. So that's a good thing. Um, realistically, the 2024 and 2025 salaries have no guarantees in them. So the 49ers, in theory, if they wanted to, if Kittle has some major drop-off, uh, they could walk away from George Kittle at that time, which I think he'll be like 32-ish, something like that. So... In theory, that would be the first time um, or first year that possibly they could uh, get rid of his contract. Um, so I think you know it was a win uh, for both sides, definitely. I thought the 49ers, they structured it really well. Um, there's per-game roster bonuses in there. I think it's like 500000 every every year, uh, which I've talked to Joel Corey, who's a former NFL agent. He said that the 49ers are one of the few teams that put in per-game roster bonuses. So effectively, if... Kittle's active every game. He gets, what, like $32,500 or something like that. Um, and every time he's not active, they get that money back, right? It counts back towards their their cap. So not many teams have the flexibility to do that. And somehow the 49ers continue uh, to have the leverage to be able to put that in place. Um, and then the second thing that I thought was really unique that Parag Morathe put in place was an option bonus. So George Kittle 2021 is going to cash uh, like $2.25 and you know, instead of just putting that two point two five million as a lump sum cap hit in twenty twenty one, by calling it an option bonus, effectively it's it prorates the cap hits uh, for the next four years at four hundred and fifty thousand. So spreading four hundred and fifty thousand over four years is a lot better than just putting two point two five million next year. So again, one of those little tricks that Prague has uh, in the back of his hand that he's able to play. So, uh, just beautifully done, beautifully structured, in my opinion. Um, Kittle's happy. he's He's got his large signing bonus up front. Uh, the 49ers are happy because they've got small cap hits in the first couple of years, and there's no guaranteed dollars in the last two years. So win-win from both sides, man. Th- this front office, when it comes to structuring deals, is is second to none, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And that's pretty well known around the league as well. Like, pe- You would think more teams would try to do how just structure contracts how the 49ers do. So, before we move on, let's just recapping the cap numbers every year. So, 2020, Kittle will make our Kittle's cap number is 5.8 million, 2021, 5.5, 22, 16.1. Then it goes to 16.3 in t- 2023, in 2024, the highest. Kittle's cap number will be is 18.1. So we kind of talked about, and then it drops to 15 million the next year, which is the final year of his deal. So we like Daniel Jeremiah threw out the 20 million dollars. Some some people thought that it might get as high as, you know, 19. So the the highest that Kittle's deal cap number will be anyway is 18. Do you think there's any chance that there is a restructure or extension at any time during the next five years?
1: Uh I would assume so. Um, unless his play significantly drops off, he gets hurt or something like that, you know, um, similar to like a Gronk type deal where he just has multiple injuries pile up. Uh, assuming he just stays at his level of play, I would assume that after like the 2023 season, there's a restructure, especially at that time you figured the caps probably like skyrocketed, new TV money's flowing, um, we'll, we'll be well past, you know, COVID. So uh, revenue should be streaming in. And so I, I anticipate at that time would be when Kittle and the 49ers look to restructure or, you know, extend depending on what his play is like at that point.
0: Okay, last question. Is there any chance that, let's say, age 31, age 32, Kittle is putting up like 500, 600 yard stinker seasons? Will the fans ever turn on Kittle? Is that possible?
1: No. No I mean he he walked into the press conference today with a, a Kittle Bosa face mask. I mean this guy's beloved by the franchise. Hell they had a hashtag pay George Kittle going on for like a month to try to get this guy paid like he was like he was their brother. Uh, I, I highly doubt the this fan base turns on him. if anything they turn on the team if they were to like release him or trade him or whatever right uh, especially the 49ers fan base seems to be very very player friendly. Uh, they'll criticize the front office, criticize the coaching staff, criticize Jed well before they ever, ever, ever slander a player. So uh, Kittle, Kittle will eat free forever in the Bay Area, in my opinion.
0: So in addition to the Kittle Bosa face mask, he was rocking a Bud Heavy t-shirt to the press club. He had like a giant bee. Like this is Budweiser. I don't know if you guys saw that at all, but he yeah, had like yeah. a Budweiser T on just yeah. like at his press conference. So, I mean, it'll be very hard especially to, for the fans to turn on him, just because by the time that happens, by the time we get there, that's like two or three, four more seasons. And he's just going to rack up some some big numbers coming in. So let's move on. The 49ers announced on Tuesday that there will be no fans in attendance at Levi Stadium for week one. They did leave the door open for later in the season. So week one happens on September 13. The next home game is October 4 against the Eagles, which is a primetime game. Will we see fans in the stadium by october four,
1: highly doubt it um you know just the whole fan situation is just weird to me um just because you know some teams are allowed to have fans like the kansas city chiefs i think they're going to have what like thirteen thousand fans miami dolphins are going to have fans on opening weekend uh, but a lot of teams aren't so it, it's weird to me that the nfl isn't just having like a straight like okay you either you know no one's got to have fans or everyone should have fans or whatever right just make it uniform make it uh fair competition for all these teams um but to answer your question no i don't think so um just because you know the 49ers in santa clara county uh they're in california i just don't see them uh having you know five ten thousand people uh fill up the stadium i i just don't think that's realistic this year but especially week four which would be like what october 4th or something like that um yeah i just, just don't see that happening
0: are you saying that the NFL is inconsistent with their rules and methods?
1: I would never such admit anything like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, like uh, yeah. why wouldn't why wouldn't you have like just one uniform rule for every team? Yeah, why not? But yeah, we're we're talking about the NFL. So let's let's get back to practice. So we were talking about just some of the best and not so good players during the first week of padded practice the obvious winners were i mean Trent williams is i don't know what else there is to say about him i would make a strong argument that he is the best player on the team probably to be a popular answer just because of Kittle and because nick bosa so in these one-on-ones and even in team drills like bosa is giving him everything he has like he's trying to beat him in every which direction and it's just not working it's really amazing to see So Bosa, most guys, he, he can get underneath them and just kind of bull rush them back. He tries to do that to Trent Williams, and Trent Williams just doesn't budge, man. And you just don't see that. And I'm, Nick Bosa is easily one of the be- three best edge rushers in the NFL. Like That is yeah. not really debatable yeah. in my mind. But just against Trent Williams, man, he just doesn't stand a chance. And I think that says more about Trent Williams than it does Bosa. Uh, Williams said there's a ton of absolute monsters on both sides of the ball and I think Williams is the best of the best the other guy that really stood out to me was Raheem Mostert and we kind of talked about him a little bit but he I mean he just does everything really well I think he's getting better out of the backfield he's he's caught a couple touchdowns in practice over the over the week just as a receiving touchdown so I'll be interested to see if he does have more receptions out of the backfield but man he, RB1 and we don't have to talk about Tevin Coleman ever again has, um, <laughs> has
1: anyone gone from out of love to like revered by the 49ers fans that quickly i mean like 2 months ago they were like trade this guy he wants out like we don't need him and now he's like RB1 start that guy give him 200 carries like oof man the flip flop there was was unreal yeah. but i think you texted me you were like 31's the best back on the team like that it's not it's not particularly close so
0: that no that was that was funny just because when when he first of all he was severely underpaid there's no arguing that just based on what he did and yes it was over nine like nine games or however many games it was but he deserved a raise like you when you play well you deserve to be compensated and because he asked for like that's the only reason fans were mad because he asked for compensation that was enough to what are you like Put, put the team first. You haven't done anything. They're just like screaming at like nothing. Don't even yeah. know why they're mad, but they're Man. mad. And wanted Raheem Mostert off. So, well, Shanahan made you anyway. You're not going to do this. You're not anything without him. And now, yeah, it's like, well, I'm a Mostert, greatest back ever. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: it, it's it, like we've talked about this. I think it's a perfect marriage. Uh, He's uh awesome in Kyle Shanahan's system. He's just that ideal one cut and go back. Uh, He's got the speed, he's got the vision, Um, and last season was kind of his first full healthy season. Uh, You know, he mentioned the offseason, he's trying to work up to like 200 carries, so hopefully Kyle gives him that. Um, We should probably place a bet on if Tevin Coleman gets the first carry uh, to gain like two yards, Um, (laughs) you know, but uh, yeah, it's coming. There's going to be games. I mean, last year, I swear, like every time Tevin Coleman started a game, the the press box would just groan. They're like, Oh my God. Right. And you're That's not supposed true. to root. You're not supposed to root, but everyone's like, my God, Tevin Coleman again. Like why? So, but uh, we'll see. Te- Tevin must have something on Kyle. He oh, might. for sure.
0: Yeah, No doubt about it. The next winners that I thought really stood out were both linebackers, Fred Warner and Quan Alexander. So there's a lot of talk about Dre Greenlaw. And I, I feel like it's hard for people to differentiate. Greenlaw can still be good, but Quan Alexander is better. Like Quan Alexander just doesn't make the same mistakes that Dre Greenlaw does. And you can see it in practice where Greenlaw will kind of fall for a play action fake, or he'll kind of be hesitant against a run fit. There are things that just he he does that are holding him back. Whereas Quan Alexander is just uber aggressive, borderline reckless. But in pass coverage, man, he is as good. He's not as good as Fred Warner, but he's like right there with Fred Warner. And both of them on both of them just in practice, man. They get to passes that just other guys can't. One time he was in man coverage against Kendrick Bourne. He ran like a little corner route and Bourne or sorry, Alexander undercut the route, broke the pass up. But like they're they're breaking like on these underneath routes where like I know Graffler has to be getting frustrated because you would think that it's open. And then at the last minute, like Quan or Fred Warner will break it up. The best part of those two, though, is when like the threes or the twos or threes are out there and somebody makes a play. Like Warner and uh, Warner and Quan Alexander will run onto the field, just like talk so much shit to the offense, and there's nothing that they can do about it. Honestly, that is the best part of every practice because Quan talks so much shit. And like he, that alone is honestly worth the big contract for me, just because <laughs> even, like his energy is unreal. You cannot match the energy, and he like gets guys hyped up. One day, uh, like so during special teams, the trans they go they're doing special teams, and Quan's not on any. So as a, as a transition to the next period, Quan actually ran across the field, gave like everybody a high five. Like that's just stuff you don't see from teammates, man. And I think that's, that's what really sets them apart. And, and they have a great relationship and you can tell. But I think those two, man, those two are really, really good. So let's let's kind of talk about the not so good. And it has to start with the right at right guard. So Tom Compton and Colton McKivitts, in, a, in two words, ain't it? Like that's just not what you want right now. Uh, A lot of reports came out with McKivitz having one good practice and and he was fine. Um, But a lot of times during one on ones, like most of the reporters will tweet out that, oh, like he got beat or oh, he got this. And it's not true. (laughs) That's just not what's happening. Um, Most of the time, the defensive line is giving these guys problems and they're making like Kevin Givens look like a star. They're making like Contavious Street look really well. And Solomon Thomas is eating these guys alive. So, I mean, I would be worried if. Either of those two had to start, not against Arizona, just because we're talking about Arizona. But if we get, if we get to like Philly, where Fletcher Cox, like that would be a, that's big, a dangerous
1: big, defensive line to go up against.
0: Absolutely, like those. That's that's the type of defensive line that honestly could could change the game. Like could change the game around. So um, they they probably need Ben Garland to to get healthy that way. Brunskill can slide back over to right guard just to to at least protect them early on in the season. But do you have any thoughts on those two?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there were some reports, like you mentioned, that Colton, Colton McKivitz, excuse me, uh, he may have like you know, pass protected well against Javon Kinlaw, or you may have like put him on his back or something like that. Uh, obviously, you were you were at the entire pra- all practices Thursday through Sunday. Uh, I have not been, so uh, I will take your word for it that that the right guard competition just hasn't been very good without Brunskill. Um, so hopefully Tom Compton and Colton McKivitz don't have to come out there week one. Um, I think Ben Garland's on track to to be back, but yeah, in an ideal world, you'd get Weston Richard back, you'd put Brunskill at right guard and hopefully get some continuity uh, across the interior offensive line. That was a giant reason for Garoppolo's just kind of deep passing game struggles. In my opinion, he couldn't step into a lot of throws uh, just because the interior of that, that line wasn't protecting him well, so I would hate to see that Uh, they kind of have the same problem again this season, but injuries happen and and you kind of have to adapt. So hopefully Garland is back out there though.
0: Yeah. There's no such thing as an ideal world when we're talking about this team, I feel like because the injury bug just, man, that there he's all over the place. Uh, the next, the next quote unquote loser that I would bring up would be Dante Pettis, man. He, he just continues to struggle. He had, he had a really good day on Tuesday. I think we recorded it recorded the podcast the day after since then he's been he's been Dante Pettis and I hate saying that because I, I do think he's very talented I think he's actually one of the few receivers on the team that could be a vertical threat because he has been able to run by like Emmanuel Mosley Jason Verrett Richard Sherman but he he's not going to catch it like that's as simple as it you can put it like he's just not going to catch the ball he had a step on a couple guys didn't hang on he still struggles with contact Um, Mosley and Brett can stay in his hip pocket on like in breaking routes or comeback routes. He's just not consistent. And I mean, I know everybody wants him to do well. I mean, I am, I'm like one of the biggest, pettest fans because I do think he's so talented and it's, which makes it so hard to give up on him, but he's just not making plays. It seems like the timing still always off with him and Jimmy Garoppolo. And honestly, it seems like the team has gotten more production out of guys like Sean Poindexter, JJ Nelson, Tavon Austin, which to say that out loud, is just like that's all you need to know how Dante Pettis has. So what, how do you feel about Pettis?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we recorded after the day Pettis spoke with media and legitimately just you just feel bad for the guy, right? He sounded like down at, at the presser. Uh, it looks like he's just kind of like uh, searching himself, just trying to find himself on the football field. Um, and today, especially with Ayuk out, you you kind of wonder, okay, who's going to be running with the ones outside of uh, Kendrick Bourne? And I think it was uh, J.J. Nelson that ran with the ones today. Um, so so Pettis just isn't getting the uh, reps that you'd expect, and and like you mentioned, I don't think he was very good outside of that one practice. And honestly, does he make the fifty-three man roster? I mean,
0: yeah, man. It, it so I I thought he wouldn't initially. I thought he would make the roster just because. The talent, but you can tell that cornerbacks like they have to respect J.J. Nelson's speed, so that allows him to work underneath, and that also allows you to have you know the little play-action shots that Shanahan likes to take down the field. So I wouldn't rule out Nelson or like a guy like Tavon Austin making the roster over Pettis. Yeah. But you you have to swallow your ego as a general manager, admit you made a mistake, and that plays just as big as a part um, in the evaluation. I feel like so we'll see if that happens. Um, Moving on to the winner, the last few winners, we talked about the interior defensive line. Yes, a lot of that can go to some of the woes on the offensive line. But I do think, you know, just Thomas Givens, Street, and even Kerry Heider all play well. And I think the defensive line, the depth is much better than it was a year ago. And we'll be able to see that. You wrote a piece on Emmanuel Mosley. Mosley has been awesome, man. He's just so good. He he just doesn't give up anything. And on even the plays, like are you are you was able to get a step on him down the field, but Mosley has like the closing speed. And like he, if I would have to be really nitpicky on, you know, where Mosley is bad, like obviously he's not going to be Deion Sanders. He does have to improve like a little zone awareness here and there on certain route combinations, but in man coverage, man, he's just, I, I, and this might be a hot take, but if, if you were to tell me one cornerback that I would trust on the roster to get a stop on third down, including Richard Sherman, I would take Mosley just because I think that, He has, like, the athletic tools and the openness, man. And talk about your piece, though.
1: Yeah, no. So uh, I was just inspired by the fact that Robert Sala, Kyle Shanahan, uh, these guys have continually said that the right corner spot is an open competition, right? You and I especially, we are Emmanuel Mosley. Like, we lead the Emmanuel Mosley fan club, I feel like. Um, I feel like a lot of people use his draft status, of, of being an undrafted free agent kind of against him when it comes to this stuff. Ah, he's just an undrafted free agent, you know. Uh, he stepped in and, and did some things, but, you know, you know, uh, I think we can upgrade the position. It is a lot of uh, people's mindsets, and that's not the case, right? He stepped in in the Week 17 Seattle game. Uh, without him, do they earn that one seed? I don't know. Then in that playoff game against Stephon Diggs after Akella Witherspoon was getting torched, again, stepped in, and he held, like, Thielen, Diggs, and Rudolph to, like, three catches the rest of the game. Uh, had an interception in the NFC Championship game against uh, Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, he had the third and 15 uh, blunder in the Super Bowl. Um, and I think he, you know, he had the mistake the same way Jimmy Garoppolo had a mistake on the offensive side, right? Overthrowing Manuel Sanders. But you can't let a single play in, a, in that big of a moment cloud your judgment of a player's kind of entire season and emmanuel mosley you know we like success rate um emmanuel mosley had like a 62% success rate last year which was was it like top 10 top 15 something like that it was higher than 90%. richard shermans higher the, higher than richard shermans last year and so um there was a stretch there weeks 5 through 12 i think you'd put this out where he was starting he was pff graded him like a top 12 corner so I'm surprised they just haven't said, "Hey, Emmanuel is going to be our our starting corner," you know, and give him the vote of confidence, right? So, that that was what that was about. I think you know, we look at it as like, "Hey, it's just roster evaluation. It should be pure like meritocracy. The best player wins out." But I feel like there's just more roster politics than that, right? Um, just being a Keller Witherspoon third round draft pick. Um, similarly, you know, how we talk about Dante Pettis being a second round draft pick and then Jason Verrett, he got like a three, $4 million deal. So it feels like the, the defensive coaching staff as well as Shanahan are pushing, you know, Witherspoon and Verrett in this competition against an undrafted guy when I think they should just give the best guy, the reps and, you know, and let Verrett and, and Witherspoon run with the twos and threes. But yeah.
0: Yeah, Witherspoon's confidence is still pretty shaky. So he he's just up and down every yeah. day. So yeah. like one day he'll get practice, and then the other the next day he'll just get beat. So I don't I don't really think that they can rely on him. Barret, some days again, like some days he looks really good. Some days he looks like Barret of old, where like he's just he's getting interceptions in one on ones, which doesn't happen. So like that kind of tells you what kind of talent we're dealing with. But in team drills, it seems like he's still a little shaky, still a little hesitant. I'm not sure he still trusts himself. Like, with all the injuries, it makes sense. And, like, I'm, like, the biggest red guy on the planet, but Mosley is better than him. And you can see that when they practice. You can see that Mosley just has a different level of aggression and a div- different level of confidence, and that allows him to just make plays on the ball. So I, 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 I'm I pretty confident that Mosley will start. Um, I think it's nice that, you know, they have these options, like Red and Witherspoon, because those two would probably start on a good a good amount of teams. Like probably. Probably. Yeah. Man Mosley, Mosley is just he—he he is as close to a star that you know I that that I could see. Like for for everything that you mentioned about Mosley, you that was the first time playing in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. Like he was he was a I think his success rate was ninth in the NFL, like sixty two percent, and Sherman's was fifty three percent. So success rate, the difference is between that and completion rate. So if you give up a, a pass on third and six for four yards that is a good play the completion percentage will go against you but like that is what we want like give up a catch all you want if it doesn't if it's not a good play for the offense who cares and Mosley just didn't give up anything so i i'm i'm really confident in him and i think just he he's also just a perfect fit for this defense because he's also very aggressive against the run and yeah. sometimes he's yeah. a little out of control but i would much rather have that than somebody passive and and you see it during practice where uh Verrett, or Brett just gets blocked too easy, and he just doesn't look like he's very interested against the run. So, right. yeah, I, I think that you know, I'm very confident in Brett. Let's uh, let's talk about the rookies. And one of the winners that I did have, um, it was Ayuk, and I just want to kind of segue with to Ayuk. He was looking amazing, like he was looking very, very good. I don't want to say like amazing. He's not like a world beater, but you don't expect that from a rookie right away, anyway. But what I did see from Ayuk is. So he is what I would call a quote-unquote above-the-rim guy. He is making – like if a pass is thrown up in the middle of the field, like he will go up and get it. You don't really see guys do that. Sometimes guys are timid. Sometimes guys have alligator arms. That's not – he like I mentioned, he wins down the field. Guys don't do that on this team. Like that's what really, really separates him. There was one route I remember where – so it's him and Kendrick Bourne running a vertical route and Ayuk had to be like 5 yards in front of Bourne. Like that his speed is unreal. Yeah. He can fly out fly, man. Yeah. And it kind of speaks to Mosley's speed, but Ayuk has like a step on all of these guys. And he's been getting jet sweeps, he's been winning underneath. I what's what's even more surprising is that Ayuk's chemistry with Jimmy Garoppolo is really good. And to see that early on is pretty promising. So, hopefully this hamstring doesn't linger because you never know with hamstrings, but Man, I, th- I think Ayuk can be a really, really good player. Uh, yeah. I mean,
1: it helps that he has like what an 83 inch uh, wingspan or whatever. So, though over the middle of the field, those throws where, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo isn't exactly like 100% accurate, Ayuk's going to be able to make those plays that some of the other guys on this roster just aren't, right? Uh, he ran a four or five at, the, at his pro day, but um, I think he was like hurt or whatever. So, I think he actually runs faster than a four or five uh like game speed so like you mentioned you clearly see that when uh in team drills when he's running vertical routes and things like that so uh super super excited for for iuk um i think you know so was it uh levin who on a on another niner nation podcast said that he might be the best receiver on the roster already like how long is it before we think like that's the case
0: yeah i i would imagine and and it just depends it's going to depend on his usage but you can just tell what he can do, nobody else can do. And I think that's the best, like the easiest way to describe it. Like he can win in ways that other players on the roster can't. And if he runs a four or five, I would love to know what the other receivers run because there's no way in hell that he runs a (laughs) four or five. He must've just rolled out of bed that day and just didn't stretch or anything. I I believe they timed him in like 21 miles an hour, like upwards to like low 22. So he, he can fly. And um, moving on to Javon Kinlaw. So Kinlaw has been – i would the best way to describe him is be a work in progress because he flashes occasionally with different, different sorts of moves, like a rip move or like a hand swipe. But for the most part, Kinlaw is just not there yet as a pass rusher, which is to be expected. He's just a large human being, and he's he's used to overpowering guys. And that worked in college, and that is not working in the NFL. And he's been trying to do that against, like, you know, Daniel Brunskill, Lakin Tomlinson. And Tomlinson's getting has been getting the best of him. But Thomson's also been working with him, and uh, today Thomson said that you know he's he is coming along, he's he's progressing, and that's what you want to see in team drills. So they have actually had Kinlaw playing nose tackle with DJ Jones out, and he, he was like the one tech. So um, he did slide back over, I, I believe, um, t- on Tuesday when DJ Jones returned to practice. But honestly, like right now, it he does Kinlaw seems more like in, you know a, an interior one tech more as a more than a three tech. Um, he has a ways to go. He has to progress. But against the run, man, he's dominant. Like they they can't do anything when they when they try to run the ball up the middle. Uh, he resets the line of scrimmage. He's in the backfield and just allows other guys to make plays, which is what you want. Um further down the line, you know, you're you didn't draft him 13th overall to be a run stuffing defensive tackle.
1: Yeah, that's um, the problem.
0: Yeah. And yeah, so he was much better than Derrick Brown in college. So he's going to have to show that. But I I imagine once the games once the game's happening. Once he's surrounded by, you know, Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, and all these guys, he's going to have opportunities to win, and that'll make a big difference as well. So well, should we be concerned right now that Kinlaw is not, you know, where he needs to be as a pass rusher?
1: Uh, A little. I think, I think the way you describe it as a work in progress is probably the best. Um, would you – I would imagine he's a two-down player out of the gate, right? He probably plays first and second down, probably pass rushing downs or, like, passing situations he's probably off the field i would imagine right uh i think that's kind of been the biggest knock is that he just hasn't been able to win um with his pass rush moves right he's been trying to use his like bull rush uh which may have worked in college but against like Legan tomlinson who's one of the better left guards in the league it's it's just not winning right he's just not getting, getting anywhere so um yeah there should be concern because when you take someone 13th or 14th overall. You you don't want just like a run stuffing D tackle like I wouldn't think that's a good use of a first round pick uh, because you can find those guys much later in the draft so uh, you would hope that he develops into a guy that can get you eight nine sacks something like that Um, but I just don't see that his rookie season so hopefully you know given one two years he can develop into that player Um, you know two years later if we're still having this conversation like we are with Solomon Thomas uh, that would be a problem but. I think it's a little too early to be like concerned
0: over under four and a half sacks for Kinlaw.
1: I'm going to go under. I, yeah, like I said, I just don't think he plays enough like passing downs to be able to like get over that number. Um, yeah, I think they take him off the field on third down early in the season and I would go under on
0: that number. The next draft pick is Colton McKivitz and we talked about him. So, he looks like a fifth rounder, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So he looks like a guy that flashes occasionally, and then there's times where he looks like he should not be playing NFL football. Like, that's the best way to describe McKivitz at this point. And any other ex- – there there weren't any expectations. Like, he didn't – they didn't draft him to start, and he's running with the first team, and he looks like he should not be playing with the first team. I think that is as simple as I can put McKivitz, who we talked about. We, we also talked about uh, Charlie Warner, who has been getting praise from George Kittle, He's fine. Like he's, he also looks like a sixth round. He's a little out of place against receivers, but he he does move. He does move better than you would expect. The guy that has not really made much of an impact is the seventh round rookie Juwan Jennings, who he did work in the fir- with the first team a little bit today. I read that he did catch a red zone touchdown, which that is going to be where he would make an impact. But when I was there, he was just running with the threes. He didn't really stick out. I think his lack of athleticism actually does show up. There was a play where he ran like a crossing route, and instead of turning up field, his momentum took him out of bounds, and that just tells you like about his athleticism. (laughs) (laughs) He uh, he Uh, can't move very well, but he does a really good job of catching in traffic. He does a good job of using his body, and that's probably like. And Jimmy does has no problem throwing it, you know, with bodies around, especially in the red zone. So that is a big receiver that they might be able to rely on. I don't. I really don't think that we'll see any undrafted free agents make the roster. Uh, Jamichael Hasty probably has the best chance, but he did fumble on Saturday, and then he didn't receive any reps after that on Saturday or Sunday. I thought that Darian Daniels would make the team just because they didn't have they don't have much size inside, but with Kenlaw kind of sliding over a nose tackle, there's not really a place for Daniels because I mean that they don't need any more run stoppers. And Solomon Thomas has been playing nose tackle as well. The only other guy that I would really give it like even consider would be Jared Maiden, and he's been playing cornerback. And I mean, he just doesn't seem like he hasn't done anything to make the team. So um, I wouldn't expect any undrafted rookies to make it out there. They're probably going to try to stash some of these guys. I, I would imagine before all the injuries, I thought that they were going to stash McKibbitts on the practice squad as well. So um, n- nothing to I mean, nothing really on the on the rookies. Man. Let's uh, let's get some questions because we did have some some good questions. Uh, let's see here. Akash, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on the front office investing more on the def- in the defensive backs? He says, uh, Jeremy asks, in my opinion, I don't feel comfortable that the rush is helping mask the C-plus, B-minus to be nice, DBs the defense has.
1: Yeah, I think this was something that the reporters consistently have asked. Robert Sala, Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch – you know how do you balance uh, pass rush versus back end coverage? And those guys have continually said they kind of go hand in hand, right? Um, I think Robert Sala had a a sweet quote this week. He said, "The faster uh, we can get to the quarterback, the tighter we can be in the back end, and the quicker we get home, the you know shorter we have to cover." And so clearly, they've invested way more in the defensive line uh, than they have in the defensive backfield. Um, you know, outside of Richard Sherman, they really haven't spent much. You know, for cornerbacks, I'd say uh, where they've spent multiple first-round picks on the defensive line, they went out and signed or traded for, then signed D Ford, and it's worked out for them, right? Uh, per Football Outsiders DVOA, they were the second-best pass defense behind New England, right? And very different style of of pass defense. New England was their secondary was like really good. Uh, San Francisco, their pass rush was really good. Their secondary on paper like doesn't have the names, but they played well, right? Uh, So there's different ways to go about it. I think the 49ers just kind of general mantra or the way they look at it organizationally, we're going to address the pass rush. We're going to get after your quarterback and we're going to try to play tight coverage as well as we can. But just given the salary cap, given the draft assets, just given how the pie works, you can't have stars at every single position, right? It just, you just can't. So they're, they're telling you that, Hey, we're going to invest in the D line and we're going to, you know, do the best we can in the secondary.
0: So according to the mentions that I see on Niners Nation, you are able to have stars at every position, and the 49ers should indeed sign every free agent that becomes available. I do think that the 49ers will make a move for a cornerback in the free agency next year. I would imagine that's the direction they go. Because yeah, it is. It is kind of interesting that they haven't really made a move at cornerback. I do believe it is one of the most important positions. But I mean, they've they've done they've put so much into the defensive line that it's made that pretty hard to do. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with D Ford next year and how um, just how how they spend. Speaking of D Ford, uh, next person Sean asked. I think D Ford is the key to the 49ers having a elite pass rush. My question is what is Ford's knee status and will he play a full-time role during the season? Sean, and he made sure to mention that he is from yeah. Vancouver, Canada. So thanks for the clarification, Sean. That was very important. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> shout out uh that he's from Vancouver, fellow Pacific Northwest guy, Sean. Um on D Ford. So he had an off-season knee procedure. Uh he said he feels great, feels hundred percent um you know the coaching staff has kind of said the same thing obviously his his injury here isn't knee related um so i am not sure that the two things are related so from a knee perspective i think he's going to be okay um the thing on Ford when he's out on the field right uh he's dominant i think he was second in snaps per sack so you know, I, I went through and I was like, okay, what if D. Ford was to play the snaps that like TJ Watt or Chandler Jones plays, right? He would be like a 15, 16, 17 sack type guy. I think he got a sack every like 23 snaps he was on the field, but he only had like 160 pass rushing snaps last season. So, um, like you mentioned, they have to find a way to keep him on the field. And I'm, I'm not sure like how they do that, right? Because health is just something we don't control, but... If he can get there for, you know, three, 400 pass rushing snaps, then, you know, that defensive line and their sack numbers look uh, even greater than they did this past season.
0: If the 49ers get 400, snaps from, 400 pass rushing snaps from D4 this season, they're going to be deadly. Yeah. I'm not sure that that will happen, though.
1: I don't think so either, but uh, one can hope.
0: Yes. All right. The next question comes from no name, just at you guessed it niner gang he niner wants to know honest opinion on the wide receiver room i think we have one of the deepest with ayu debo taylor born Pettis.
1: uh i was trying to think of like a good comp for them and it's funny cuz the nuggets jazz games going on as we as we record the wide receiver room feels like feels like a denver nuggets type uh room right where there's not like this one guy that's like He's our go-to guy, and we're going to like lean on him, right? They don't have like a Julio or an Odell or someone like that, but they have a bunch of guys who are versatile, and when you put that with Kyle Shanahan and uh, you know Michael Fleur and all the, all that kind of stuff, they become that much more deadly, I think. And like you mentioned, what you've observed from Brandon Ayuk, he clearly looks like he's going to emerge uh, if he gets the usage as the number one wide receiver on this team, all right? Uh, but they've got a bunch of these like punt return type guys that they put in space uh and they let them work after the catch um so yeah i think it's like a middling group i wouldn't say they're like top five top 10 or anything like that but uh just given the system that they're in they can be more effective uh than if you just look at the names on paper
0: i love that comparison by the way because yeah there's not a there's not an ace not yet I think Ayuk is I, first of all, I think Shanahan's been chasing the ghost of Julio Jones and Andre Johnson since he's been with the 49ers. Good and morning. I would say that Ayuk is the closest thing, but yeah, I mean, there's no way to you can't say that after a few practices. He has so much more work to do to get to those guys. Those guys are obvious Hall of Famers. But it is a good comparison just because there isn't a, there isn't an an ace, but with Shanahan, they can just get they can win games and they can make plays with his scheme the next question comes from mike and we we pretty much talked about this where do we stand on the center position and how is that battling impacting the right guard option so um i mean if garland is back by week one so garland didn't pra- hasn't practiced uh, he's been out of what like a, over a week now right
1: yeah it's been about a week i'm gonna keep this simple just say a prayer for ben garland hope he's back so that they can put <laughs> right guard it's that simple if Tom get Compton up, starting week one, I would be a little worried.
0: Get let's get uh let's get Garland in a cortisone shot and let's suit him up and get out there because like he uh, he's fine and I don't I don't think he's a bad player by any means. He's no, not like a he, world he, leader, but he doesn't have to be a world leader. Yeah, so, yeah. So if he can play, I don't think there would be any worries. But it is impacting the right guard because Brunskill had to slide over, and now that means Tom Compton and McKibbs fifth round mm-hmm. draft pick would have to play so that and that's not what you brought mckivitz in to do year one anyway yeah and right. that so the last question comes from gurgit uh Gerget, i'm not sure how to pronounce his name who do you think leads will lead the team in receiving yards and rushing yards this year so i think we can leave the rushing yards alone if raheem Mostert is healthy he will lead the team in rushing yards if raheem Mostert is healthy and does not lead the team in rushing yards I'm going to send some very hateful fan mail to the head coach. <laughs> Who will lead the team in receiving yards, though? Cause that because there are plenty of options, and I don't know. So I would say, like, as of right now, Trent Taylor would lead the team in receptions because he would just rack up a bunch of underneath yards. But like he's not going to be a guy that is going to break these So He's just gonna get like five, six, seven, eight, twelve. That's right. Whereas Debo, you can, he can run a slant. He's going to break a tackle and get 30 yards. You can take a screen 20 yards. I, you can get a deep pass for 40 yards. So I I would, I would still, if I were to answer the question and I, I think Debo does play in September. So I would say Debo right now, yeah. but how many, like how many yards is leaving the, re, leaving for the receivers? Because like Kittle is going to get a thousand, but what about after that?
1: Yeah, so let's project Garoppolo to be like a 4,200 passer. You know, he was 39-something last year. I don't think he goes much over that. So 4,200-ish, right if he's healthy the entire season. You say 1,000 for Kittle, so you're left with about 3,200. Uh, I would think Debo gets in like the 800 range. I think he gets over 1,000. He got over an all, 1,000 all-purpose yards already, I think. I think he w- goes well over that this season, especially if he plays in September so I would say Debo probably leads the team in receiving yards at like 800-ish. Uh, then probably Ayuk, uh, maybe in that five, six hundred-ish range. And then Trent Taylor, Kendrick Bourne—they kind of again in that same zone, right? I don't think there's anyone that like separates themselves. They're all roughly kind of in the same uh, catch number, yard number, I, I would guess. Uh, rushing numbers, like you mentioned, should be Raheem Mostert. This shouldn't even be a question. Uh, Tevin Coleman probably leads the team in like first down, two yard carries. He most crushes him in every other statistic, in my opinion. I even think, you know, Jarek McKinnon probably leads the team in running back receptions. He probably had some yards out of the backfield. So I don't think Tevin Coleman should be leading
0: the running backs in like
1: any statistical category this season. So uh, that would be my
0: opinion. Yeah, we haven't talked about Jarek McKinnon, and he has been very good in practice. He has been a guy that you would expect him to be. So the 49ers have been splitting him out. They've been using him a lot out of the backfield, so him and Jimmy's uh, chemistry hasn't been—they they haven't been on the same page, and that's been like—I don't know how concerning that is. You can just tell that they haven't worked out together. I can—I would say that's just timing. It. Yep, they—they they do need to get on the same page because he is open, and he is open often. He is open on these sideline routes down the field, where there are two instances specifically where he's had to dive because like Jimmy missed him. There was another throw where he. Beat the line, it was a second-team linebacker. He beat him so bad, and he had to dive for the ball because C.J. Beathard threw it. But he, if he didn't have to dive, he would have just walked into the end zone. So McKinnon is a threat. I 100% agree that he's going to lead the team in receptions and receiving yards for running backs. And I also agree that I don't expect the receivers to really differentiate themselves. I think Debo, probably high 8s, maybe low 9s, yeah. just depending on how much he plays. I would say Ayuk is probably in the 600 range, and then Taylor is in, like – the Taylor and Bourne are both in the fives. And then, you know, it's going to be one of those seasons where, like, IU balls out one game, Debo balls out one game. And then we'll have these games where, you know, Bourne has a couple touchdowns, Taylor has a bunch of catches, and they just rack up stats in different games. And, and that's fine. And, and that's kind of how this offense is built. Receiver by where, Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be that way until Ayuk essentially is asserts himself when he's healthy so yeah i think i think we pretty much covered everything we can i or are you gosh, <laughs> is there anything else that we need to talk about
1: no i don't think so man we're what 19 20 days away from week one uh i think we're super excited i think kyle especially after being down in uh santa clara this week he's got me amped up he's got the fans amped up i think uh yeah i just can't just can't wait for the season to start
0: yeah i'm ready man i'm and i'm just it's It's cool that we're getting closer and closer and that there's actually legitimate football talk to be had. So thanks for listening to the second episode of the Shanahan plan, the Shanahan plan, the Shanna plan. Give the name some credit. I am Kyle Posey. You can follow me on the Twitters on KP underscore show. Akash, where can we follow you
1: Uh, at Akash? So A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V.
0: Thank you. And go Niners.